0: Brexit, the British exit from the European Union. Until COVID-19 struck, it dominated our headlines, TV screens and radio broadcasts. Brexit means Brexit. Brexit means breakfast. Brexit. Think
1: about Brexit. What's, what's that? Brexit is bothering both ends of the business spectrum. We
0: must leave the EU.
1: So it'll be harder to go on holidays? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I love my holidays. Yeah. yeah.
0: The global pandemic has diverted our attention for the last few months, but the deadline for the end of the Brexit transition period is looming closer, and we still don't have much idea what's going to happen at the end of December. Will the UK still be in the single market? Will we have a customs union? Is Kent going to become a massive car park? Are supermarket shelves going to be empty? No one knows. A deal is still being struck, which means UK businesses have to be prepared for myriad potential outcomes. This mini-series for the London Business Hub is getting to the heart of the Brexit-related issues affecting small to medium-sized businesses. In each episode, we're going to be taking one specific issue, be that tariffs, the loss of skilled labour or food labelling, and try to see how businesses could be better prepared for whatever comes next. To make things easier, we've paired each London business with a relevant expert, and between us we'll try to bring a bit of understanding and clarity to the situation. Obviously, we don't have all the answers, as so much remains unknown. But in this podcast, we're going to do the best we can. My name's Nick Wallace. Thank you very much for listening. In this episode, we're discussing what to do when your workforce walks out of the door. In this case, returning to the EU. What can UK businesses do if local people don't seem to want the jobs you have on offer? With me today is Sital Punja, founder of couture dressmakers and manufacturers Threads London. When 80% of Sital's workforce returned to their countries of origin following Brexit, she was left lamenting that young people in the UK aren't interested in dressmaking. Enter London Progression Collaboration, a new project led by Anna Ambrose. They're an organisation helping unemployed Londoners back into work post-COVID-19 by boosting apprenticeships in the capital. Perhaps they can help find the hard-working stars of the future that Sittal's been looking for. This podcast was recorded at the beginning of September 2020. Hi Sittal, thanks for coming along. Tell me first of all how and why you set up Threads London.
2: So I set up um, Threads London in 2014 and it was because as a new mum, I wanted to work closer to home. And I had already helped um, a dying factory resurrect itself in Tottenham. And through that company, we had managed to get contracts with um, the likes of Nicky McFarlane, Palmer Harding, the London 2012 um, Olympics opening and closing ceremonies. And I had learned the business of manufacturing in the UK. And when I said that I was going to come and work closer to home, Nikki McFarlane um, joined me and said she wanted to come and set up with me. So as my first client, um, she helped me set up my manufacturing business.
0: Not a bad first client to have, but you're not a dressmaker by training, are you? You started off as a business person.
2: That's right. I um, come from the film industry. My background is sales and marketing and my... um, my interaction my first interactions with the fashion industry was when I set up a label called Sari which was a charity project recycling old saris raising money for deaf blind children across India and it was following the Bhuj earthquake appeal and um, I really found that there was a real um, need for skill sets being Maintained in the UK and that manufacturing was dying and it was really hard for us to find really good quality um, manufacturers that would work with small scale designers. And so when I set up threads, it was one of my main goals was to support young, small designers.
0: Well, you had Nikki McFarlane as a client. Obviously, she shot to fame uh, as being the designer of the flower girl dresses for uh, the Duchess of Cambridge's wedding. That can't have hurt. But what has business been like over the last six years? And what are the challenges that you've been facing more recently?
2: Well, business has been a little bit boom and bust for us, actually, um, and almost survival in, in the last couple of years um, since Brexit. But, you know, we've had the highs of the likes of Nicky McFarlane. We've worked with, um, you know, we've worked with Caroline Charles. We've worked with Michael Halpern. Um, we've had some big British names coming through our workshop. And then we've also seen that post, um, you know, the coming towards the, the, the idea of Brexit and post-Brexit, the likes of Nicky McFarlane and closing and you know going into liquidation bridal brands going into liquidation so business has been quite tough and in most recent times over the last 24 months it has been really really tough for us we've had to reorganize redevelop reimagine ourselves a little bit
0: go on explain what that means
2: um so we were mostly we were only business to business when we first started up we were working with big designers and we were just just manufacturers um one of the things that we have done since last year is become um added a private element to our business so we do now private wedding dresses we do holy communion um mother of the bride and we also do occasion wear because one of the things that we found um locally is we were always turning away private clients but people have found that ready to wear doesn't always meet their needs, and they are looking for a dressmaker. So we've tried to bring in affordable dressmaking.
0: What kind of clients do you have then? What, what sort of are they? Are they wealthy, or are they? No, no,
2: they're doing not doing all right. They don't have to be super wealthy, but they, I mean, we, we're not cheap, but we're we like to say affordable. So if they can go to coast and buy a dress for two hundred and fifty pounds, they can come to us for the same kind of price.
0: So just tell me then. What was the immediate effect of the Brexit vote in 2016? What did you first start to notice happening to your particular industry and your business environment?
2: Um, well, one of the first things that happened was that um fabric supply went down. People were just not the fabric coming into the country was not as much. But I do recall um we needed to recruit um a new machinist to come and work with us, and what we found was that normally when we would put out calls for um, a post at our at our workshop, we would get hundreds of replies, and I. I think that first time after Brexit I got 10 responses to my advert. Wow. And when we then interviewed people, we found one person out of that those 10 people who had applied.
0: And where do you normally find your seamstresses and garment workers? What 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 part of the world do they come from?
2: Um so more recently they have been through Eastern Europe. And Central Europe. And they are so highly skilled as well. They come with really good grounding. They have learned in school. They have learned through their education system. So they've already been taught so before they've chosen to take a path across
0: to another country. And so what's the Brexit effect been on them? They've just gone back to their home countries, have they?
2: I think. A lot of people have, yes. Um, There was a lot of Polish beforehand that would come and apply for jobs and Romanians and they were just not applying for the jobs
0: anymore. Well, we're going to bring Anna Ambrose in from the London Progression Collaboration. But before we do, I just want to ask you about Covid, because I imagine that has also had uh, quite an impact on your business.
2: Well, Covid um, became almost disastrous for our business this year because whilst we I said we'd reinvented ourselves and kind of put, you know, reimagined ourselves into this doing private work. We did our first wedding shows um, at the beginning of the year and um, then Covid came and I all my my entire year's business basically got demolished. (laughs) within one hit but we were personally affected by covid because my husband was critically ill with covid so it um impacted on our household quite quite dramatically we've had to um look at how we then bring staff in and what, how staff work and how we can't just go back to full steam at work as well. Um, but one of the things during this COVID period was that I um, came out of quarantine after we had 25 days of quarantine with our whole family contracting COVID. And um, we then ran the local Hillingdon Scrubs program so we made over 5,000 um, no nearly 6,000 pieces of scrubs and the supporting items for our local NHS teams and healthcare teams in the borough include for Hillingdon Hospital for Harefield Hospital and um, Covid hot hubs.
0: God what a year you've had Sital I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. how is your husband now?
2: my husband is well he he is well he is um he recovered thankfully he only needed oxygen and he didn't need to go onto a ventilator but he did spend um some time in hospital um they he still struggles the 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 um recovery from covid i'm you know we don't, we don't know what that means but he, he you know he he is well he but he, we've noticed during really high heat and stuff he does kind of find it hard to breathe and lethargy is something that remains with him he's not at 100 at all um And we've worked really, really hard supporting our NHS teams and worked really hard with the hospitals to make sure the doctors and nurses
0: have had scrubs. You're clearly an extraordinary woman dealing with extraordinary challenges. Just give us a very quick snapshot of where your business is right now. What are you turning over? How many employees have you got? And and where are you seeing the new potential opportunities, if there are any at this moment in time?
2: So we were um, turning over a quarter of a million before we um, went into um, COVID um i will say that's probably less than half more than more, you know it's probably we're lucky if we get get 100,000 this year um so that is quite a sharp reduction in ours we've had to make one member retire one members retired one person's made redundant so we've got a skeleton staff now working here um we have got um we have like lost all our wedding customers but we are hoping that next year that people can go back to having weddings so we're hoping that all our bridal customers will come back to us next year and so our immediate need therefore is going to be to be able to find um a couple of new seamstresses that can come into working for us that have got experience and can work in manufacturing
0: okay well let's bring in anna ambrose who's the director of the london progression collaboration hi there anna hello uh, Extraordinary to hear uh, the year that Sital's had um, on top of the challenges that Brexit has brought along. You have put together a package which is aimed at helping small uh, and medium-sized enterprises in London. Is there anything in what Sital's been saying that immediately made you think, oh, we could do some business here, we can help out here?
1: Yes, definitely, I think. Um, if I maybe uh, just introduce um, the London Progression Collaboration a little bit first... Um just to give a bit of context, so we are, we're a startup initiative and we're piloting a kind of flexible business support approach essentially to increasing the number of apprenticeships in London. Um, and we're working with businesses of all sizes in lots of different ways. So from apprenticeship strategy support through to really practical hands-on support um, for smaller businesses. But one element of the work that we're doing is around brokering what's called the transfer of apprenticeship levy funds from large companies to small businesses. So large organizations with a salary bill of over three million pounds pay into a fund that's called their apprenticeship levy and that is then ring fenced and all they can spend that on within their business is apprenticeships. But if they're not going to use all of it themselves and the majority are not using all the funding that's going into that account, they can transfer some of that funding to small businesses. Um, so one of the things that uh, we've been doing since we started working about 12 months ago is brokering that levy transfer from larger organisations to smaller would ones. Would that
0: money otherwise go to the exchequer?
1: Yeah, that money would otherwise be reabsorbed back into the system, back into the government. I
0: see. So this is an opportunity for them to, to cut a deal which, exactly. which might make more sense to them.
1: Exactly. So in theory, it goes back into the apprenticeship system, but uh, quite, quite how much we can trace and track that, I'm not sure. Um, but this is an opportunity for large businesses to invest their and spend money. And that, since Covid hit, is where we've been focusing our attention particularly. So we launched a campaign called Reskilling the Recovery in June and we've secured pledges of um, around £1.3 million worth of unspent levy, and we are using that now to cover the full cost of apprenticeship training for small businesses, alongside supporting them to navigate what can be a little bit of a complicated system for for small businesses who haven't used apprenticeships before. And I think, you know, um, some of the reasons why we were set up um have been exacerbated by the pandemic around you know the large numbers of londoners in low paid work with relatively low levels of prior qualification who tend to experience real challenges progressing in work and we have a really low level of apprenticeship starts relative to the rest of the country in london and on the other side of the coin there are really pressing skills gaps in really important sectors of the labor market for london just as we've been hearing about. Um, which are forecast to grow as a result of Brexit. And, you know, apprenticeships clearly aren't the answer to all of those problems. But I think they can play a really, really
0: important role. I was reading a business briefing on reskilling the recovery and I was struck by how poor uh, London's apprenticeship provision is. Do we know why that's the case?
1: I don't think we do fully know why, um, and it's interesting. It's the the rate of apprenticeship starts. I think it's calculated per thousand adult working age adults um, in London is about half that of the northeast, which has the highest level of apprenticeship starts. Um, and where you know perhaps you might assume the opposite because you know London has this this thriving thriving economy and and all the rest of it. Um, and I don't think we do fully understand. And I think. Partly, um, you know, recruitment in London historically is perhaps easier than in other parts of the country. Um, So perhaps organisations can or historically have survived on a slightly more transient um, kind of labour force, whereas in other parts of the country, actually that issue about training and attracting and retaining people um, has perhaps been a bit more of a challenge and therefore you know that might explain some of it but I don't think we do fully understand the answer to that.
0: Sital, have you ever considered apprenticeships for your business?
2: yes we have considered apprenticeships um our um as a small business i think one of our things with apprenticeship is is the time that it gets taken um to work with an apprentice because we all are flat out we, we don't have extra resources in our business because everybody just works to get the work out um whereas in larger businesses i do feel one of the reasons why they are able to have more of an apprenticeship scheme is because they have the time to train and we just don't and have the time to train somebody up we need them to come in do so we can get the work out and get the bills paid Um, and I would love to know how we can actually change that mode because for our industry in particular um, we have a aging population you know the people who can sew are retiring and the young don't often want to get into this line of work they want to be the designers they want to be um, they want to be in the more glamour parts of the industry or what they call the more glamour parts of the industry yet actually this is an amazing skilled um, workforce and one of the things that we try to do here is that's um, not to call ourselves seamstresses and machinists but actually to call ourselves dressmakers and ateliers because just that language change makes a change in how people perceive themselves is it's just not low-level work all the time it's highly skilled and really kind of you need to you need to understand how to work these machines and garment construction um not you know you're not just i don't know a factory worker as as they were once seen so i think the image needs to change but um i would really like to see how small businesses can um integrate apprenticeships into them
0: Okay, well, as far as this podcast is concerned from here on in, it's dressmakers and ateliers. Uh, Anna, is there anything in, in what Sital's saying that would make you think the the London Progression Collaboration could really help here?
1: Definitely. I think um, one of the key answers, I think, to, to both of the, the kind of challenges you, you raised there is around finding the right apprenticeship training provider for your business. We provide support um, for any small business that we're working with to find a training provider if they don't already have a relationship with one, so we can make introductions. But I think more importantly, in some ways, is helping um, helping any small business think through like what is it we really need from our training provider because the ways they work and the different kinds of expertise a training provider can offer are really really different and that helps with the whole question of getting someone as productive as possible as quickly as possible um, and uh, you know arranging the -the off-the-job training in a way that can be accommodated within an individual business and every organization is different and everybody needs something different so that relationship is really crucial and is one that we're really keen to support businesses. Is to make sure um, you know that the the provision is right for for the business. Well, from my perspective,
2: traditionally um, the rag trade was an an, an apprentice led industry, and one of the things that um, I feel that one has to look at is sometimes how um we can get because of the need of knowing how to use a sewing machine how do you get to those people already how do you because it's all right finding the funding It's the funding is is there in in, especially in these industries and we've got training providers who can do that but it's actually accessing the people who want to do these apprenticeship schemes
1: yeah absolutely and i think again i think that's where the right training providers can um, offer a lot of support. Um, So certainly some of the the real kind of specialist uh, training providers um, in in different sectors, you know, many of them will have a pipeline of people waiting for an apprenticeship. That's the problem
2: though. No, so that's one of the issues in this industry is that they don't. UKFT, I'm a member of UKFT and UKFT apprenticeship scheme, they have developed fantastic apprenticeship schemes. But one of the things that they don't have is this pool of people um that they can they can put them out to because otherwise we'd all be we'd all be jumping at them um, <laughs> of course, um, of course. and 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 that is because of of the image of the industry and also because um we are not taught um we are, it's not something that has been made an important part of our you know it's not of part of our mm-hmm. education system is what i'm trying to mm-hmm. say here um mm-hmm. you know it's something that basically clothes are made in china clothes are made in india you just walk into a shop and that's how you get clothes um and so the image is you know the apprenticeships are in the design the designers and all of this kind of stuff but it's not in the seamstressing and how and, and the product you know you've got apprenticeships where people will become garment technologists and they will become i don't know maybe cad pattern cutters and stuff but actually what we're looking for is bare bones learning how to sew and basically make those garments and I think that's where there is a real um there's almost like a black hole that needs to be addressed and I don't know how that 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 can be addressed
1: no I mean there's there's some kind of long-term campaigning work to do there isn't there you know, getting getting some big names to, um, to, to kind of try and do some of that image changing work, which, you know, you're certainly not the only sector to be concerned about issues like that. Mm. I think one of the other things that we've found interesting in terms of uh, kind of sources of people with a, you know, a genuine interest and, Level of skill for some of the other areas where we work are the kind of charities and social enterprises who are working with particular groups to support them into employment and giving them the kind of basic skills that they need. And I know there are um, there are a few sector kind of specific organisations that you, I'm sure you'll have come across. Uh, so behind bras and fabric works, um, and certainly in in the other sectors where where we're working, we found that um, that those can be a really good source of people who've committed to a sector and committed to um, to some initial training to get them kind of ready for an apprenticeship. Um,
0: Anna, to what extent, I mean, I know COVID has obviously caused the most cataclysmic effect on the British economy for, for generations, but to what extent does Brexit potentially provide an opportunity for upskilling people, uh, and particularly as we're talking about um, the, uh, the, the industry that Sittal's in, uh, could it help people like Sittal or businesses like Sittal going forward?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's both a challenge and an opportunity. Um, you know, I think. We we know that the the proposed immigration system is going to make it more difficult for many sectors to um source people um in the way that they have done um in recent years. Um and you know, there's forecast to be a huge gap, for example, in construction um labour, and that's a big part of the reason why that's the case. Because
0: mm. it isn't one of the problems of the past couple of decades that we've had what some people have called a car wash economy, where labour's been incredibly cheap and there's been no incentive. Incentive to train it up because you can just throw people at a problem rather than making uh, or or, or generating highly skilled individuals through investing in training. Sital is looking for trained, skilled people, or at least people who have the the funding behind them and the burning desire to learn uh, that can get up to speed very quickly. Is there anything in the way that you see uh, new immigration proposals coming through because of Brexit that could help CITAL?
1: I think... I, you know, potentially. I think the, the challenge in the proposals as they stand, and it's not, not my absolute area of expertise, is around the, the kind of definitions of skilled labour. And actually, you know, we know from what we've heard today that the people that Threads need are definitely skilled. Um, it, that's really clear. But the The definitions that we're working with um, from the government and the pay implications of that don't necessarily um, accommodate the people we're talking about. Just you know, just the same as the care sector and many others. Um, so I think you know, there's a continued kind of lobbying job to do on behalf of many sectors with government. I think to um, to try and create a broader understanding of what skilled work actually means and what that looks like. Um, but on on the flip side, I think there are constant conversations, aren't there, about how the education system does or doesn't prepare people for the world of work. And I think, you know, the the impact coming kind of one after the other of Brexit and COVID means we, you know, we need the education system to, to kind of take on that challenge. And... Mm. And think about what is it young people need to come out of school ready to do and how can we be kind of making sure that we're able to embrace that opportunity. I
2: have to say I agree with you totally Anna on that point about how education needs to change because one of the things that um, I feel very strongly about in the industry is how we have, um, you know, there's a there's a massive campaign on Made in England, things to be made in England for us to buy local, for us to buy British, for us to do all of these things, um, which has triggered the kind of Brexit thought process. Um, and we have, as a country, we're a service-based country rather than a manufacturing country, yet our needs to survive are in terms of manufacturing, yet manufacturing doesn't seem to be something unless it's... Um, unless it is um, science-led or it's kind of innovation of that kind of spec, it doesn't seem to be um, valued or regarded. And I think sometimes something as basic, whether it's the farming industry or whether it's the rag trade or, you know, these kind of things, these, these are so important because we, we do need clothes to wear. We do need to have them made in England. And, and as we've learned with the Scrubs project in particular, that um, when we had a pandemic, China couldn't provide it for us Things were coming out of them And they were so expensive And that will be the way forward post-Brexit Is we We're already seeing the price of cloth go up we We're already seeing that retailers are not able to stock as much That shipments are coming up That actually um, overseas manufacturing is becoming more and more expensive um, For those price points to hit
0: It sounds like you're describing the need to get on a war footing almost That we need yeah. to become self-sufficient or much more self-sufficient
2: well it it, I, i think we do in some senses we do need to you know i've taught my 12 year old how to use an industrial sewing machine through lockdown and she's been making face masks and putting them out for free outside of our workshop on our house for people to take um and they're really good quality but it just shows that actually something like sewing is not something to be smirked at or looked bad at but it actually could be a means to an end you could go anywhere in the world and sew and have a job um everyone needs clothes everybody needs clothes and actually and then you can come to something like our work field which is really kind of skilled and really you know you're talking about embroidery and you're talking about lavish garments and you're talking about some sort of constructions that are sometimes mind-boggling but um but like you looked at the celeste dress for the brits awards and you're like wow but that took 14 hours for somebody to make
0: proper couture Which is is one of the things that Britain is uh, looking to be a a leader in going forward, or should be at least.
2: Well, it should be because, you know, Paris Atelier is there. We have the most amazing designers in this country. But one of the things we don't focus on is the people to support those designers. And we really have to work from the ground up because not everybody can be a designer. But people can partake in this fabulous industry at all levels.
0: So sit out just just bringing things back down you are looking at possible green shoots of recovery for your business because the wedding industry could pick up next year you're obviously a survivor you've managed to 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 cut everything down to the bare minimum but you're still going and you've still got that energy and that drive is there anything in what Anna said about apprenticeships that would make you consider looking to unlock that sort of funding or is your head not there yet are you thinking maybe that might be a year down the line I, I just need to survive on what I've got for the moment
2: Um, no actually I I do think that we do need to be um, innovative and look at apprenticeships as our new way forward and I think actually um, COVID has brought the right time to be able to do that whereas Brexit probably hadn't because we just needed to survive through Brexit but being able to COVID has kind of created a whole lockdown and everybody has been given the time to kind of re-energise themselves maybe and think differently about things and how we do stuff and our business has definitely done that and one of the things that I would um like to uh, one of the things I think that we lack in this industry in this country is really kind of digitised, digitised skilled labour. And I think where we should be looking now at apprenticeship schemes is, is to have somebody who could CAD pattern cut and CAD design our at our workshop here and be able to kind of bring that into a bespoke level for our customers. Um, and I think that could bring us um, give us a cutting edge actually.
0: Anna Ambrose, Director of the London Progression Collaboration, and Sital Punja, the Founder and Director of Threads London. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more business support on leaving the EU single market and customs union, visit businesshub.london. This podcast was commissioned by West London Business for the London Business Hub and was produced by Folder Media.